This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Set? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will. But... I want you to give me power over Adam. And I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have, have so much to gain and have such a material And uh, who was the grotto leader? Don't remember his name. You don't remember the name of a person who involved you in murder? Now, these people are in very high position, Jack. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. We're back, and there's a second part to the Yeah. A, a second I read question. The second, yeah, the second question from the same person, Councilman Les Winan. I guess I'll just read it because it's the same thing. Uh, yeah, just remember to read six. All right. Do you think that the bipartisan neoliberal governing regime will end in our lifetime? It's been around for roughly 48 years and can't last forever, but it's also hard to predict when it will erode. Just curious about your thoughts on neoliberalism's longevity and how long, uh, sorry, longevity, given how difficult it is for even tepidly left candidates to gain power. Thanks. Hmm, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty pessimistic about, like, the future of, like, an actual left in America. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's a separate question from the longevity of neoliberalism or whether... I think that if neoliberalism is replaced by something, it will be, like... I mean, I don't want to say fascism. I mean, I guess I, I both do and don't want to say fascism because I feel like, you know, if you say that, people think, like you know, that you're being really alarmist. And I also, maybe I, I think that because the connotations of fascism maybe are more extreme than what I mean. But if neoliberalism is replaced by anything, I don't think that will be like something that has good things in repla- in place of, you know, the things that we dislike about neoliberalism. Probably retain most of the bad things about neoliberalism, but be, I don't know, more the strong, more openly and proudly dominating the weak. I guess probably yeah. the most likely development I would say. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a little bit pessimistic as well and but at the same time, I mean I do think that, you know, uh every era has its day and you know, gives birth to something else. You know, uh basically. I feel like hmm, I don't know. Has neoliberalism, I guess you could say 48 years. What is that? Basically, that's I don't know what they're since we went off the gold standard, the early 70. I don't know what they're basing that on, or 74. Um, I'd say maybe 74. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a pro, I don't think they, they flipped a switch one day and like, yeah, exactly. Neoliberalism turn on it. And also, like, the more we've gone through all of the Gustavus Myers stuff, you realize that there are certain features of American capitalism that maybe today we would call neoliberal like be like oh that's like neoliberalism but like it's always kind of been there to some degree more Mm -hmm. sometimes more sometimes less but you know it also brings in the trickiness of what to call it 
Yeah, they're just in the 19th and early 20th century uh, context, I think. I mean, there's also, like, uh, the Keynesian dimension, I guess, of, or the post-Keynesian dimension of neoliberalism, maybe, because it's certainly not a Keynesian, but uh, kind of a, a post-Keynesian pose, I guess. But I mean, it's like weird, Reagan like, like neoliberalism yeah. But used I think to there's a like, global posture that is different from, like, the 19th, early 20th century context. You know, I feel like the global the the aspect of like globalization and the attention to like uh, a global market regime is like a pretty definitive aspect of neoliberalism um, yeah yeah it's which is not really from... super present in you know a pre-world war ii context um, that's true yeah the... and also like the whole idea like you know the new deal basically like an, uh, the new deal ethos that Gustavus Myers was like celebrating that's basically been no longer within the sort of uh, Overton window, I guess, the neoliberal Overton window. Like, that's just beyond exactly. the ball, which is, you know, pretty pathetic, but is true. What also you know, is like we brought up NAFTA before. NAFTA is like the iconic neoliberal policy or like program, yes. I would say. That so is the, like, I would say the EU block is also very emblematic of like neoliberal everything, basically. Yeah. You know, all the way down to the sus pan ritual, <laughs> you know, um, but right. but the idea of kind of like the flattening of like the erasure of like national boundaries and distinction, the utter domination of like markets and corporate power, a kind of further hollowing out of like the state, um, the state still exists, but almost j- really nakedly as like an instrument of like private capital mm-hmm. and private corporate power and uh, yeah, we've backslid. Also, as we brought up like many times, the antagonism that was there in the early 20th century, the Soviet Union is no longer around. So I think the behavior of capitalism really kind of shipped like, well, it kind of went, neoliber- neoliberalism kind of went into overdrive post-1991 and mm-hmm. hasn't really slowed down since. Now, I do think that I mean, we're, well, we're in an maybe interesting just, time, though. I feel like... I guess Reagan is, uh, you know, maybe more of a neocon. I feel like neocons and neoliberals, like, you know, you would think that they are, like, opposed because we think of liberals and conservatives as being, like, you know, uh, a a binary opposite. But I feel like (laughs) there's, in terms of, like, the actual, like, way that neoliberals, like, self-define or that, like, people talk about neoliberalism, obviously, like, a famously kind of amorphous term that sometimes is used, like, you know, in in an imprecise way. Although the same could be said of like neocons, but I feel like neocons and neo like liberals aren't necessarily opposed. I feel like there are aspects yeah, yeah, yeah. of Reagan that are neoliberal. Well, that um, that's the thing that gets confusing about terminology, especially because if you go back and look at it, there really isn't much of an antagonism between neoliberalism and neoconservatism. Exactly the way there is between say liberal uh, liberalism and conservatism. Although. And, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they I guess kind of go hand in hand. They really yeah. speak to more, maybe more, uh, like neoliberalism is usually applied strictly to more economic matters, and neoconservatism is usually applied more to like an approach to foreign policy yes. and like the use of the military and things like that. Yeah, but they really go hand policy, in hand. Whereas neoliberalism yeah. is like foreign, yeah, economic policy, but also in to an extent domestic policy. Insofar as like. Everything has to be well. It's like the integration of our market with a global uh, marketplace that has to be conceived according to like some laissez-faire principle or whatever, like yeah. some you know, uh, yeah, free market idea. 
And of um, course, also, let's not forget that one of the early people, one of the first people to be sort of called a neoliberal was not like some, you know, Justin Trudeau lib, but I believe it was Pinochet that was first called a neoliberal because at that time it meant you're adopting these kind of neoliberal economic policies that are, you know, formulated by like Milton Friedman or people like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but and at the same time, like you look at the political neo themselves neoliberals, like proudly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Like it and liberal like in the economic, abuse. like laissez-faire yeah. sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But Pinochet, if you look, like Pinochet, it seems kind of like falls more on, in terms of a foreign policy relationship thing, you would expect, oh, it's like the neocons in Washington that like love Pinochet the much. They, they love yeah. right-wing, you know, dictators that were put into power with the help of the CIA and stuff like that. But so I think they're, they're really just like two, I don't even, not even two sides well, of the Well, yeah, coin. they're like his sort of receptiveness to like the integration of their uh, economy with that of the United States was like fundamentally neoliberal. Exactly. Um, because, yeah. yeah. Um, he wasn't a protectionist, basically. Exactly. He was welcoming. He's friendly. He's a good man. Um, Anaconda copper. Exactly. Yeah. So, right. I mean, what I really see is almost it's hard to, like, keep all those balls in the air in terms of, like, trying to predict the future. Sometimes I feel like I have, like, a better ability to intuit the future than some. But even that being the case, like, I would not say that I have a good ability to intuit the future. I don't necessarily see, like, the if there is a resistance to sort of like a a, maybe a a laissez-faire aspect of, of neoliberal ideology, it would be, or like a sort of isolationist streak that develops. I mean, we kind of see that happening. Like that is really like, I don't think that like, you know, you're right that like these movements or these sort of dominant ideas do shade into each other. But I think you can kind of tell like what direction it would go into. And I don't think that it would go into, first of all, I think that like the American left is so like thoroughly psyoped and like just like broken and stupid, not Mm -hmm. uh, excluding our listeners. And like, no, that's not like true of like all like, (laughs) You know, it's not true of like every, but I just think that there's a lot of, and you know, this is, I'm saying this because like where my personal sympathies are, like, and I feel like, you know, right wingers would probably be saying the same thing, like about the right wing. But I do feel that the momentum is, if anywhere, you know, I think that neoliberalism may prove more durable uh, than perhaps uh, it might appear to some. But I think that if it were to go in any direction, it would be like the sort of Trumpist politics of like being anti NAFTA. But also NatCon, like, NatConism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think um, that I think that NatConism is making gains against neo neoconservatism on the right. Um, yeah. Oh, now, for sure. Or, I mean, neoconservatism. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I mean, in terms of neoconservatism as being like an aggressive foreign policy and like an idea of like you know American hegemony through like military through like pro- the projection of of military power in certain spheres. I think that, yeah, that's definitely, the the right is definitely soured on that. I mean, I think that people realized, uh, post-Iraq, people realized, like, the deep unpopularity of that with people. Like, the Iraq war was incredibly unpopular. The idea that uh, America is going to, I mean, the sort of justifications for these wars, like, were not successful, and people are deeply disillusioned with them. And also the idea of the necessity of maintaining our empire like the American people don't believe in it anymore. So yeah, like, that, that, seems that about right. changes well, the, their rhetoric, but the, does the it change the thing. actual calculus behind the scenes? That's a different question, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's bizarre today that kind of the, the neoliberal, and I guess when, when they say neoliberal, I think today 
generally means like the centrist kind of Democrat Democratic Party kind of like consensus, basically, yes. which is which has picked up some of the old like Bush era neocons, the like never Trumpers who have kind of like come back home to like the party of Brzezinski. And mm-hmm. then you have these kind of more isolationist natcons who, uh, with one exception, or maybe one or two exceptions, they probably would be interested maybe in going to war against like China or Iran. But other than that, yes. like they're not as interested because maybe because China is a throwback to the glory days of like the Cold War and they kind of appreciate the importance of having this like Leviathan communist, like external enemy, like in the Far East. Also, even with like Carl Oglesby talking about how like the cowboy class, you know, has always been way more obsessed with like land wars in Asia mm-hmm. <laughs> as, a, as a sort of thing. Whereas the Yankee neoliberals uh, are much more obsessed with like keeping up appearances in Europe and more recently being really obs- like almost as obsessed with Russia as like the John Birchers were like in the fifties, yeah. but for well, kind I mean, of different reasons. It's interesting that like, I mean, I guess like there, w- it's, it's hard to parse in a way because what we have to interpret a lot of the time is, I mean, there's two dimensions like to American politics on one hand, which is like one is the participatory side where there is like rhetorical contestation around these issues. And a lot of that is deeply inflected by like cultural bullshit and like uh, sort yeah. of uh, political signaling. So it was interesting that, I, you know, I was going to say like, it's weird that there was like such a disillusionment with the, like, uh, I feel like in terms of like what the rhetoric was from like conservatives, the, it was like very uh, anti, like the whole project of the ongoing occupation of Afghanistan. But after Biden pulled out, then I feel like they kind of changed their tune. And then they were like, oh, we should have stayed uh, or like done it differently or something like that. You know, so it's like weird yeah. where they had to counter signal each other. But, you know, I was going to say it's weird to me that they would be opposed to that, but they would be in favor. I mean, we're talking about like a hypothetical person and maybe these two ideas wouldn't actually exist in the same person. But it's weird to think that like someone would oppose one of those things, but like be in favor of war with Iran where, yeah, you know, it's strange. I mean, in terms of like actual like real politique. I feel like one almost serves the other. Uh, it would be pretty convenient to have like a sympathetic government in Afghanistan if you wanted to go to war with Iran. Same with Iraq. You think so? Well, I think, yeah, there are those kinds of calculations. Same with like how some people on the right in like kind of Flynn, like proto natcon sphere were kind of interested in making inroads towards Russia, not because they were like Putin agents or something like that necessarily, but because they view the number one enemy as China and they're playing that old yeah. like grand chessboard game of play the dragon, play the bear against the dragon kind of shit. Yes. And, yeah. you know, like they, they're making a kind of tactical alliance, kind of the opposite of what Kissinger wanted to do in the 70s which he laid out, like, basically, we're going to team up with China to undermine the Soviet Union. And then later, one day, if China gets more powerful, we'll have to turn on China and become their enemy. But, like, for now, this kind of works for us. You know? Yes. And, I um, mean, really, like, any of these frameworks that, like, could exist, like, is going to need, like, some kind of, like, existential struggle or enemy to justify itself, I feel like. You know, so... In terms of, like, neoliberalism, really, like, the forces of, like, quote-unquote, like, reaction or, like, protectionism yeah. itself, it really does have an internal enemy. Like, the biggest internal enemy of neoliberalism is, in a way, like, 
the MAGA guy who like isn't on board with like the yep. vision and like exactly. he's you know resisting he's a white supremacist and then abroad there's just re- repet- repetitions of that guy in Putin and Orban and like all these other people yes. like even if they are sus sometimes it's like you see them as kind of just one kind of reactionary like bad guy bigot you know person yeah. that doesn't want to open all the borders it's like Ukraine is unique because okay. you do actually see a bit of a consensus there for the most part. Like, Though, uh, I mean, if you turn on Fox some, News, yeah, there, there, are there are people complaining people, or yeah, they like to say, no, you know, right. we just sent $40 billion to Ukraine and we can't do fill in the blank. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's a little bit of that. Like Tucker, I feel like is like not all about Ukraine and mm-hmm. like people like J.D. Vance, you know, the the real uh, the vanguard of like that sort of like NatCon uh impulse like for sure but the sort of trappings of that are more widely popular than like the opposition to ukraine is i don't know if you saw like i think i texted some of uh you know our mutual friends and and you like that ad about george p bush it's like the liberal george p bush (laughs) you know he's a liberal yeah Yeah. it was i hate that shit so much that now like the bushes are getting lib washed yeah basically. it's weird on two levels yes it's very strange like it's it's one of those things yeah like just imagine showing this to somebody like in you know like like five years ago or something like you'd be like what the fuck i guess probably not five it's been a while but uh, i mean it is went bizarre. To, like, pre-trump america and show it to somebody they'd be like what the fuck? no it's weird but i mean uh, i do think there yeah. were a lot of conservatives after 2008 it's one reason why barack obama won as much as he did and that's why there are maybe not a ton but there were like obama trump voters you know what i mean like yeah, people that voted are. for obama in 2008 and really and I think there were the trump biden there, voters yeah yeah uh, like the commonality there is like they wanted to vote for a kind of unconventional something new like something that was perceived as not being from like the yeah. swamp and in and 2008 that was Obama. memories and they tend to like switch parties and like get pissed off at whatever party's in power and then yeah i think that that's yeah. a general phenomenon <laughs> yeah yeah but the but, bushes I mean, I mean a lot of people were disappointed in the bushes and i think what you see now on the right reason. is like a confused yeah, yeah you see a kind of <laughs> a confused opposition to like the bushes in the sense of they feel like they get sold a bill of goods and whether it's because like the bushes are globalists or because they're actually liberals or you know something like that they sense that like the bushes fuck them over but of course you know we talk about the bushes so much i don't think most of those people understand just how deep the rabbit hole goes and they'd also don't understand that like it's not the problem wasn't that like Bush is like secretly a liberal. The problem might have been that he comes from a very rarefied like Anglo-American elite class and was like inducted into Skull and Bones and spent his whole life like serving the shadow government and probably killed JFK, you know, but like he, a lot of people don't know that. So they just think that like maybe or like Jeb Bush is a cuck or something like that, you know. They, yeah. they don't have the most fleshed out, like, and you really also, could go all like, day. And also, like, it's a convenient, like, political attack to make that, like, is true and will, like, garner sure. sympathy. But, like, it can be easily made by, like, disingenuous people who don't, like, differ politically in a meaningful way, which I think is, by and large, like, the conservative critique of the Bushes, like, has that character, like, in terms of, like, the actual, like, practicalities of it. Uh, like, their actual, like, beliefs are not or maybe superficially different that's like kind of this is the point that i was making like before like if there is like a turn kind of in american politics i think that it would kind of i mean the most likely form that it would take would be you know very directed inward towards perceived enemies among like americans like that yeah 
Yeah, that like that and we I seem guess, to be you know, trending that towards could that. Could take a uh, a liberal form as well, you know, like yeah, which I guess you know so. is a great American tradition. So if there is a turn in American politics, I think it will be like an intensification of that. I mean, you theoretically could take a leftist form because, like, you know, if there were any kind of like increased like there was a, like a, a, a renaissance of like a true left in America, really like what it would have to do would be to like take serious like steps to like cut off. And this is what every other side says about what they want to do to their enemies, uh, the people who they don't like, but you would have to take actual like steps to like uproot the power of the reactionary and like shitty. I mean, I guess they're both kind of, well, uh, re- yeah. but like if you do that and you don't go after everybody, you don't go after like the point zero 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 one percent regardless of whether or not they preach uh, reactionary values or enlightened liberal values. I think, well, you're not yeah, I mean, enlightened far. liberal values, like, I guess I would include that, like, in reaction, like, by that definition. But yeah, I know I understand what you mean in terms of, like, like usually when <laughs> you think of reactionary, you think of, like, you know, like, you know, a stereotypical, like, MAGA person. But I mean, yeah, I'm not guess, thinking yeah. of, like, a natural gas guy, like, tycoon in, like, a region that has, like, $2 billion necessarily, though, that no. we'll get to them. But. Uh, not to say no, they're not a problem, fact, or even the fact, Koch like, brothers those, who get all the like, attention. That type of reactionary isn't like very deeply embedded, like in the government. Like they're not like part of the quote unquote like deep state. Really, <laughs> it know? doesn't like, seem to be ha- the there case. There have to be like, like a real like there have to be a fundamental transformation, honestly. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I think that they like they have like a, a theory of like how this stuff works, and I think that they like would like to change that people who truly are ideologically sympathetic to that although i think that it is hard to parse like what is true ideological sympathy and what is opportunism you know i think jd vance like talks like a pretty convincing game and like if you didn't really know better then you might think that he was sincere and i think that maybe Mm -hmm. he thinks i think that maybe for even him it is a bit ambiguous you know like whether how sincere he even is absolutely uh, we can never rule that out exactly yeah like but I mean, as but far yeah, as I like, think, as, you know, you would have to basically like uproot like elements of the deep state, like is what I I mean, like, you know, both. Yeah. Like whether, whatever, like the superficial element of it is, because I think that really like another political trend that I see. And again, like, as I said, I'm not like a super great at intuiting the future. And I don't like to put myself in the position of like diagnosing political problems and certainly not prescribing solutions. But another trend that I do see is kind of like the consolidation of policies in terms of like everything practical in terms of like uh, economic ideas in terms of, uh, you know, the orientation towards like the world outside the United States and like a very sharp difference developing around cultural bullshit. You mean within the United States? Yeah. Within the United States. Like I see that like the two sort of sides, the two political sides, the United States the you know there are democrats the republicans etc etc liberals and conservatives like the in terms of like for most people like what they care about most deeply unless there's something that's like a real imminent thing in their lives like a real like you know something like their their health is in trouble or like something to do with their job there's no baby formula yeah something like that unless there's but i mean some of that stuff is like you know 
perceived and like, you know, uh, some people get upset about those type of things or, or things adjacent to that that uh, are less real that like are, you know, just sort of a phantom or like the result of like overexposure to like social media or to uh, traditional media. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people, what like really fires them up a lot regardless of even yeah even regardless of like the material circumstances like they could be like just getting fucking wrecked and like mistreated by you know uh the institutions that they interact with in their lives but you know the the psyop uh infrastructure is very powerful and i do think that what, what mobilizes people and what get people get fired up about the most across the board like across the political discourse of america is like TV shit and like critical race theory and like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Disney I mean, it's rumors, undeniable. It's uh, undeniable. Like you see that they're using that's their main election strategy. Like that's what is, you know, they're one of the, their salient, if not their salient issue. It's stuff around that. Like you know, yeah, Disney groomer, et cetera, et cetera. Or like, I will defend Disney from like the false accusation of being something like shit like that. Yeah, you know, like that like, is never forget January 6th. Yeah. Like. Against like all <laughs> reason that is what seems to like mobilize people the most. But the other side of that, I feel like is that outside of that, outside of the increasingly shrill opposition on issues like that, like this sort of irreconcilable like gulf that just widening and widening over like in the like epistemological breach that people cannot uh, like pass uh, on that type of stuff. Like the actual politics, like the actual like practical uh, policies, I feel like are converging like towards like Peter the Thiel. Serious center. The yeah, serious center. The serious center of like, yeah. Um, that which is kind of the deep state's mo because it has like yes. fe- it has it has very kind of uh, grotesque features of both like right wing and liberal tendencies in America, but it's all on the surface of imperialism. Slava Ukraini, uh, yeah, Slava, yeah, well, exactly, and and it's like one side might kind of not go along with it in a particular instance, but then there's like another issue where they will go along with the bullshit. Yeah. So like An the end result is that there's I mean, an, there's a constituency blindly advocating for some imperialist bullshit on like every issue like if the liberals don't want to attack iran well don't worry the trump trump people do exactly yeah you know or you know it's we actually have a question coming up about the squad that's a perfect i moved moved it up up. oh yeah well i think actually it feeds well into this in a way because let's just go yeah okay yeah fine we can go into that one because we talked Uh, about the right but i think they they really want to know about these what the tepidly left candidates well i think this is a good example well why don't you yeah we read the question and so yeah yeah. the next question which i'm bumping out uh again the synchronicities wow uh jeffrey epstein is alive in tel aviv uh, asked on september 9th are aoc and the squad slash justice dems a psyop I get bad vibes from the role that Saikot Chakrabarti, the former AC, AOC uh, communications guy and Justice Dems, or I'm sorry, uh, chief, I think it was a campaign manager, sorry. Yeah, a, former AOC campaign manager and Justice Dems founder has played in the movement. The guy is a founder of the payment processor Stripe and also got caught wearing a t-shirt with Subhash Chandra Bose, an Indian fascist, on it. AOC's lack of criticism of the CIA, as well as her 2010 study abroad to Niger, are also very sus. Yeah. Um, well. That's very interesting factor that I had not heard about uh, 
wearing the uh, Indian fascist shirt. Oh yes. Uh, well, if you if if there are funny. any Dave Emery listeners, you would have heard about that many many times because he brings <laughs> it up a lot and he goes all the way. Yeah, I think he did like a ten part series on like Subhash Chandra Bose and how like he loved Hitler and I forget if he I'm met sure Hitler he or not, but he was like when you talk about those Indians that um, during, you know, World War II really, really loved the Nazis. Subhash Chandra Bose is pretty much that guy to a T. And there was, I've seen the picture, uh, that AOC's campaign manager, Saikot Chakrabarti, is wearing a shirt with his face on it. Yeah, I mean, this guy, honestly, honestly, the Justice Dems, yeah, they're sus as fuck. I'm calling it like oh yeah they're we definitely know a psyop and one of the main ways in which they are a psyop which is directly relevant to what I was just saying is that you know and I think that I could see you know I know you want to get away from the topic of like JD Vance stuff but I could see JD Vance playing a similar role where he's like oh I'm mm-hmm. not going to vote for this like see we still have integrity that's exactly what AOC did they don't they almost don't even bother doing it anymore but it was like you know AOC being like no I abstain from giving Israel a billion zillion dollars or whatever <laughs> um you know but of yeah. course it ultimately is meaningless and doesn't matter yes. because everyone else voted for it but it's just you know it's a psyop literally like it's, it's just a like I, a, a PR uh, stunt know, for the Democratic Party. Um, and and I do wonder, because you could go down a rabbit hole with the Justice Dems beyond just that they're kind of like a fake left psyop, maybe in kind of a Bernie way, just to give people the illusion that there is a left wing to the Dem- Democratic Party and make people feel like, yeah, especially with these very... Yeah. And let's be real, like a lot, a lot of these squad members are very like telegenic and charismatic and stuff. And sometimes they say they yeah. pop off and say some good things that get a lot of play and and simultaneously yeah. I mean, I have become like right wing. Like, you know, I don't really think Ilhan is good for the most part, but I still think she probably has the best foreign policy of any American politician. She talks a much better game on foreign policy, whereas AOC is like shockingly, I mean, Bernie's pretty bad too these days, if you're being honest. And even like in the nineties with Yugoslavia, but AOC has like nothing to say about fucking foreign policy. She just stays the fuck away from it, except if it's like Slava Ukraini or something like that. Like I get very sus vibes from her. Also, you know, I think if we want to talk about it, like her whole rise to being kind of roped into like running for Congress and the whole story of how that happened. I think there are like more little stories that have come out in the last few years and it just kind of smells a little more like, like I think even back then it did, but especially now it's like, I'm not buying this, like this fucking story about you were just a bartender and then you just decided to run for Congress and blah, blah, no, blah. I mean, I think there I was mean, more to, to fair, I mean, first of all, like first of all, she worked in Ted Kennedy's office. Yeah. To be fair, most she, but she, which, like she didn't talk like about that. No, I yeah, know. I know. But like the, she, um, she, the, like for one, yeah, she did that fucking trip to Niger. I think it was Niger um, in 2010, which, you know, could just about, I don't know if it was like Peace Corps. It was something similar to that. And then she worked in Ted Kennedy's office, I think either a little bit before or after that, went to like, you know, went to BU. And I forget also, I'd have to go look it up, but there, there was something about how she got profiled as like, you know, a young leader kind of thing by some like sus, like Sorosy, like think tank mm-hmm. sort of thing, like before she ran 
and was like basically a nobody. So it's almost like it almost seems like she was like cast for the role. Like she was picked to be like, you have the perfect kind of image and personality and like thing that we're like going for. And then she gets this guy who's like this tech weirdo who wears shirts of like Indian fascists, you know, Saikot Chakrabarti, who just pops up suddenly and is like, oh, I'm a socialist actually. Yeah. After like making a bunch of money in Silicon Valley and Wall Street and then just decides, yeah, I'm like a Bernie supporter. So he jo- he joined the Bernie campaign in 2015, like very early on. I guess he told Rolling Stone, I wasn't entirely sure he had all the right solutions, but I knew he was talking about the right problems. Right there, it sounds like, oh, don't worry, I'm not a fucking socialist. But like, you know what I mean? Like that almost sounds like something J.D. Vance would say about Bernie. I don't think he has the right solutions, but he is talking about the right problem. Even Trump would say shit like that. Uh So it's like already I'm just like, hmm, I don't know. And he was like, I guess he was the director of organizing technology for the Sanders campaign. And I don't know, he developed a messaging tool called Spoke, which is released under the MIT license to help volunteers find other volunteers and blah, blah, blah. So I guess, you know, his technological edge is credited with being a major component in uh, the success of Bernie's 2016 run. And then after the 2016 election, <laughs> this is actually funny. Yeah, him, uh, Zach Exley, who is a former fellow Bernie campaign executive, Chank Weger of the Young Turks, and Kyle Kulinski of Secular Talk <laughs> became co-founders of the Justice Democrats. Well. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, the ju- I always thought that that name was just, like, weird for, like, the for sort of like the political action committee that's supposed to be like the left wing of the democratic party calling them like justice democrats it just seems like why justice that's like a weird it's a random fucking word to kind of pull out so that i mean they that's the group that basically got a lot of people like elect like cory bush and the whole squad i don't know what's up with this this zach exley guy he went to the jfk school of government at Harvard. He was the organizing director at moveon.org. Got involved with the Howard Dean 2004 uh, primary. He created the political parody website gwbush.com. Oh my god, that's probably like some jib-jab thing. Wow. Um, uh, wow. Subhash Chandra Bose invented the term Jai Hind, or he sort of popularized it. Oh, interesting. It was the Slavic yeah, Ukraini of its, of its time. <laughs> it is. It yeah. really is. Yeah, no, if you look up Shubhash Khandra, I I mean, I wonder if he's ever, that's just so annoying that you could wear a shirt like that and like nobody ever questions you about it. Yeah, people in America generally turn a blind eye to like, I mean, if people think that like there's a problem with fascism in America, like mm, alarming. Okay, yeah, here actually Newsweek. Filthy Muslim scum who suffer the most and howdy modi. (laughs) Actually, check this out. So Newsweek actually wrote about this, and this was crazy. This is in 2019, so it's not like it was a picture of him like many years ago wearing a shirt. It was in 2019 he wore it. So it says that like you, AOC's chief of staff has come under fire after being (laughs) spotted wearing a T-shirt bearing the image of a controversial Indian Indian independence figure who collaborated with Adolf Hitler's Nazi regime during World War II. Saika Chakrabarti wore the green shirt in a video aired by Now This News on PSYOP in December. (laughs) 
<laughs> detailing Ocasio-Cortez's unexpected rise and un eventual congressional victory in last year's midterm elections, the Jewish Telegraphic Agency reported. Bose was an Indian nationalist leader who worked with the Nazis and the Japanese Empire to rid the subcontinent of the British during World War II. Hitler recognized Bose as the leader of Azad Hind, quote, free India, and his Indian National Army fought alongside the Imperial Japanese Army against British troops as battle raged across what is now Myanmar and into the eastern fringes of Indian territory. Bose died just weeks after the war ended. In August 1945, the Japanese plane on which he was traveling crashed in Taiwan, having been overloaded with cargo. Though many popular conspiracy theories claim otherwise, Bose later died in hospital from severe burns, and his ashes were buried in Tokyo. Wow. So, um, yeah. Okay, so he got yeah. interviewed. Uh, but I mean, or, yeah. Well, like, I, I understand how, like, it's complicated, you know, when you're, like, resisting a colonial power, you know, struggling for independence and everything. But at the same, you know, at the same time, you don't need to wear a shirt with that person on it. Like, I understand how, like, you know, there's a, it's a complex situation or something. But, like, if they're fucking Nazi who, like, believes in national socialism, and it's, like, a known fact, which I assume you know as well. Like, what are you getting at? I'm sure he does. Yeah. yeah. Like... Well, they, they interviewed a... Uh, I'm sure that, a like... Shruti Kapila... a problem. Uh, well, yeah, Shruti Kapila was a lecturer in Indian history at Cambridge, and she was interviewed. And she said, you know, he was certainly... Bose was certainly an anti-colonialist, and... Um, you know, he definitely deserves some of the controversy. You can't whitewash the fact that Bose does take help from the Nazis. On this basis, she suggested that Chakrabarti's decision to wear the T-shirt outside of India is highly controversial. She says his ideology was complex. It was described as socialist and statist and stressed that he cannot be considered <laughs> a, a right-wing figure in the vein uh, of the... So it's basically a Strasserite. He's like an Indian Strasserite, um, basically. Yeah. Yeah, he called for a middle way between socialism and fascism, fusing elements of both to create a uniquely Indian ideology. Uh, so, yeah, I guess what Chakrabarti like refused to comment uh on the record to newsweek about wearing the t-shirt so he's just like no comment yeah <sighs> okay, i mean i cool. also think like passing it off is like oh if it were just inside india people would understand i mean i'm sure they would but uh it's still you know, yeah, if you not wear a confederate flag kind of people in the united states will understand well, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Like, it, especially in the era of Modi, it's a little bit sus to be running it's around the definitely world sus. wearing a fucking, uh, yeah, Shubhash Chandra shirt. And, like, also, yeah, like, what was she, what was she doing in Niger? <laughs> Let me find I don't know. that real quick. I mean, I remember seeing old, like, pictures um, of her kind of going there. Let's see. She worked for, I want to see when... Yeah, she did a study abroad there at junior year. She had an unusual reaction to poverty, according to The Guardian. But let me see what they're saying. Is this like, are they attacking her? Oh, okay, interesting. She spent her junior year in the African nation of Niger, where she had an unusual reaction to poverty. She decided Niger's struggling citizens had, quote, a level of enjoyment that just does not exist in American life. And, oh, that's where she met her, her boo, Riley Roberts the redheaded guy who's been like her boyfriend all these years. He's like a tech person. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. They're getting married yeah. soon. Right. I saw that they were engaged. I think so. They went to the Met Gala with, you know, the, uh, the Bronfen. 
the bump thing. Yeah. So she came out of nowhere, a bartender who came out of nowhere to be elected right after her 29th birthday. She was launched into politics by her brother, Gabriel, who heard a group called Brand New Congress, formed by Bernie Sanders supporters, was looking for people to nominate anyone they thought should run in 2018. Pulled over to the side of the road in a rainstorm, Gabriel phoned his sister and asked if she wanted to run. Her reaction, F it, sure, whatever. So her brother, still sitting in his car, filled out the web form and hit send. Wow, brand new Congress morphed into Justice Democrats who had 10,000 nominations for candidates. Gradually, AOC became their favorite, not only because she was extremely smart, but also because she was, quote, really pretty. Hmm. Okay, Uh, that Corbin Trent explained is like, this is a quote, like 20%, 50% of being on TV. Trent became her communications director. Huh, that is interesting. So she literally did kind of submit like an open casting call for like a Bernie Kratt candidate, which, you know, you could say is not sus, but I could also say otherwise. (laughs) Um, And then they went after this kind of old school Democrat, Joe Crowley, who had been you know, in that seat for a very long time, right? Yeah. And it's not to say that he was, he was definitely cast by people as being this, like, well, Pelosi pawn, like, yeah. dumb centrist, like, libcuck, like, right, whatever. Yeah. That all, like, the, you know, all the cool Bernie gentrifiers and queens were going to vote out and stuff. But then, okay. And not saying that, yeah, you know, Joe Crowley would be really better. <laughs> yeah. But, like, is this, like, really... and. You know, maybe she represents the vibe of some of her constituents better than Joe Crowley did. But I don't yeah, know. I, t- I mean, you know, she just got plucked. The other th- the weird thing I think I heard recently, I think I saw we try to never mention like bread to people on Subliminal Jihad. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think uh, Hassan had the Pussy Riot Girl on like a month uh, or two Hassan ago. Hassan Piker, you mean? Yes. OK. I think so. I think it was Hassan Piker. And he had he had like Grimes and Nadia from Pussy Riot. On. <laughs> <laughs> it was like weird. Well, and yeah, I don't even know. But like, the clip I was sometimes uh, like being awareness. Okay, sorry. What is it? What is it? All right. Sorry. No, but let's not get on a thing about right. bread tube. Uh, no, 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 just the thing. It was like shit. Like Nadia from Pussy Riot was telling a story about like, oh, I met AOC at like the bar that she worked at Union Square and like. 2016 or something like that and blah blah uh-huh. blah and it's just like like sus <laughs> like because you know pussy riot is like cia as fuck um <laughs> yeah there's all about like bleh i'm gonna like pee on this altar and like have sex in a museum and then get mad when they arrest me and mm-hmm. say pootler's evil blah 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 like they're just so cringe and um and so that was interesting that like oh she was running into pussy riot like randomly hmm, interesting and uh i guess they had a mutual friend also interesting. So I don't know. I mean, we well, could poke all day at like little sus factoids, but I think just, you know, judged the uh, the the radical by their fruits. I don't think that the squad has, I do not have very high hopes for them in no. terms of like being the future I mean, of the Democratic Party. A, yeah. for it's going to, I mean, I guess they are the future of the Democratic Party. I mean, AOC will likely be Pete. president one day. So That's the I new, don't know the, about the likely, new binary but it's a distinct possibility. Which I think will be terrible. <laughs> I get CIA vibes from the whole crowd, basically. And Chank Uyghur, I mean, wait, once again, Chank Uyghur, who's his nephew? Hassan Pike. Right, yes. Uh, see, it's all, it's a big club and we ain't in it, you know? Yeah, it's really funny. Like, these um, like fake progressive motherfuckers. And Hassan Pike you know, is like, yeah, I don't even pay attention to that. So I had no idea that, like, like what he does or like 
yeah, it's it's bizarre to me. But um, occasionally I see something. But yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I don't the, know. It's weird that he like it's, it was weird to me that he would even have like, I guess. Why not? He's a big celebrity. Well, I like that he's hanging out with Pussy Riot, who are like really they're almost like right wing anarchists. The other Pussy Riot girl was like her boyfriend is like basically a Russian neo-Nazi. And she's like, oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't right. realize that he was like a Nazi. We're actually like, he's really cool, though. <laughs> like politics aside. I didn't like, he was a Nazi. Uh, they're so sus and fucking fash and like stupid. And like, I hate it. And so I think there's something similar is going on here with the American left where like we're not given anybody that is truly radical nobody that gets as I, I don't want to say never ever but like I think when somebody gets a really big springboard to become like an overnight national celebrity and like a leftist thought leader and develops like really powerful massive parasocial relationships like they're following because that's really AOC's like superpower mm-hmm. is like her Instagram following yeah. more so than her relationship with her like actual constituents yes then you have to ask yourself, you have to be like a little bit skeptical of like the radical potential of this person that just seemed to like, I mean, there's well, even more such people. Remember, what has she done? Well, yeah. Has she like mobilized and, you know, anyone? Has she, I mean, I know she's just like one Congress person, but like, I mean, whatever. Seniority like, and stuff. Wait, what did she do? But, did I mean, she do something? Well, no, no, she she doesn't have seniority. So, like, you, you could argue that, like, what could she do? The system's set up this way. Well, then, to, like, who, not well, then why you. do we celebrate her? Why, like, do we yeah. care about her? Like, why oh, do we exactly. consider her to be exactly. significant? Like, if she can't accomplish I mean, anything. Actually, she I have to bring raise awareness and then everyone's just like, okay, well, I don't care. Yes. Um, the other, the other, the one other person, though, that's, like, a really good case for, like, the whole Justice Dems thing being super sus is uh, Julia Salazar. Mm-hmm. Remember Yes, her? I do vaguely Is she still her. in office? Was she ever in office? I thought she lost. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Yes, she is. She's still in, she's a New York State senator. What? Wow. I didn't even yeah. realize that she won. <laughs> Damn. I think she is I the sus because um, she is, she has pulled a few tricks. Like, one was she basically did kind of borderline did like a Rachel. Oh, she's a state senator. Okay. Yeah. I got confused. State senator Senator from New York state. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But like she pulled almost like a borderline, like Rachel Dolezal. Well, it's one of those things where you're like, I'm Latina. I'm from South America. I'm from Colombia, but like you're a white person (laughs) from Colombia, you know? And I guess like, she's also, uh, there was something weird where she was a right wing. Like she went to Colombia but apparently like didn't graduate. And while she was at Columbia, she was pro-life. She was like conservative and she was in a bunch of like pro-Israel Christian student groups and like went on birthright claiming she was Jewish. But then later I feel like she had to quietly like retract that. And actually she's like not really Jewish, but maybe she had like a great, great, great grandfather in Columbia who's Jewish, but like not really, you know what I mean? Like just, and then it like chameleonizes into a fucking left wing, like justice Democrat overnight. And there was more, I think I remember like, I think crypto, maybe it was crypto cuttlefish or maybe not, but somebody had dug up that like Damn, that Julie Salazar's background. Like, she was yeah, like that. She was a like, christian zionist who went to birthright yeah. i mean i'm sure i don't really know i'm not but an wasn't expert really it, but, jewish well but there probably are programs for christians to come to israel that are based on birthright so they might not even have required her to be jewish i'm not sure i mean i know it's called birthright 
maybe she misrepresented what particular program it was. Armin Rosen of Tablet Magazine has questioned Salazar's Jewish identity. And wow. she gave some answer that was like, I have some Sephardic ancestry through my father, blah, blah, blah. But then he interviewed her brother that said our father never mentioned any Sephardic heritage. The thing I was going to say, Apparently though, she supports is BDS now, despite, I guess, being. Yeah, but like, can you trust it? You know what I mean? mean? And but no, no. But the thing. Hold on. The, the thing I wanted to say is that somebody found on Twitter that like I think her like grandfather in Colombia was like a Barry Seal like Contra drug smuggler like pilot wow. or something like that. Like it's it's like Anna Navarro's dad was a Contra. It's like one of those things. So it's like who the fuck even knows who this person is? And she's a democratic socialist and all that kind of stuff. I think she's been keeping a low profile like ever since a lot of that flack, you know, kind of came out mm -hmm. and it's just, but it's still in office. And so like, that's kind of the type of people that I don't know, like I, they, their convictions don't seem to be very deep. Like AOC just comes off to me like an ultra, like model UN, like theater kid government, like, like centrist liberal. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing about her actually like in her personality or the things she ends up like strongly supporting her rhetoric feels so hollow whenever she talks though, about something right? socialist. Like Jacobin pushed her. Did she even go on Chapa Trap House? Oh yeah, she did. Oh, she, and they were huge champions That's of so her early on. Stupid. I mean, um, we all, we all learn and grow. We um, grow and learn. <laughs> it's okay yeah. guys, but like people grow and change. Remember that yeah. for the future guys to not just jump on the Bernie train uh, um, so hard. Yeah. That that's really, you get psyoped by the pretty girl that they picked. Until she's recent pretty, years, she was a fervent uh, pro-Zionist anti-abortion Republican activist. Whose identity as a Jew of color is reportedly self-created. Damn, this is just <laughs> like she's neither like non-white yeah. and like not Jewish, but she said like I am both Jewish and like Latina, like ethnically. <sighs> you know, it's just it's really something. You know, I still a lot of people have hope that like these are the cool millennials that are gonna totally like transform our politics <laughs> and stuff. I don't. I fucking don't. Like, and they're gonna. Like the fact that they won't even come out like and I don't know, talk shit about the CIA, like speaks volumes to me. Like even if it was like empty rhetoric, like yeah. they don't even want. I feel like there's a whole generation of like DSA type people that are like psyoped into being like Slava Ukraina now mm -hmm. or uh, Slava like five booster shots or all kinds of other things that I feel like are not actually very great like leftist positions. But, you know, I think their their careers are, are going to be safe and they're going to be with us for a long time. Yeah, they will be with and us for a long time. Uh, not going anywhere. Yeah.
be able to do all these questions. Yeah, perhaps. All right, where were we? Oh, yeah, okay, this one. All right, uh, why does the bourgeoisie drop hints? Sorry, this is from Mina Honker on 99. Why does the bourgeoisie drop hints slash allows hints about shit in media, like all the on-the-nose occult shit, aliens, pre-9-11 Twin Towers getting destroyed media, contagion and zombie movies in the tens before COVID, etc.? Well, I think that there's like a different stuff going on here. Aliens, I think, is a different category from the other stuff where I feel like in some respect, there's like actually a level to like promote certain beliefs and ideas, uh, which is like not really necessarily dropping hints, but like shaping expectations and opinions. And I think that, you know, on some level, fiction about like pandemics or about like the fear of contagion and that type of thing, like the dangers of, of sickness, like which is a very, you know, uh, timeless human phenomenon like that we encounter. Like that's been around for a while. So like I feel like movies about zombies, like those, you know, the sort of zombie apocalypse genre that can have like a bunch of different subtexts. You know, it's not just necessarily about COVID. You know, it can be about any number of things. I think in many ways, like it's a, vehicle for anxieties about societal collapse like in a lot of ways but anyway neither neither here nor there i think that some of the predictive programming stuff is i think we talked about this before relative to the twin towers like some of the predictive programming stuff is not like so much predictive programming as like it's a kind of uh, natural thing to expect and then it's really like not i mean maybe it's more predictive programming or the priming of expectations for when something inevitable does happen or, you know, something, it can be something that plan it's plan does happen. But, you know, I think that. Well, building yeah. like two gigantic, ugly towers that almost like invoke the tower of Babel, which everybody knows was destroyed. Yes. I have said cataclysm. that before that I think that like yeah. the towers themselves are predictive programming for their collapse. And like, it's not I, I would agree with that, that strange that people, and they were also like a symbol of global capitalism. So the idea that people like fantasize about them being destroyed just because of their like aesthetic aspects and like how unstable they actually appeared like optically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, also what they symbolize like it's, and defiantly you know, ugly. Yeah. Like, yeah, defiantly ugly like to make cabinets. you almost want them yeah. to be destroyed. Yeah, that was I mean, that was even right. Muhammad Atta, I mean lies upon lies here but you know he was like an engineer right yeah somebody wrote a whole novel about how Atta, so like decided to, yeah they, they um, had to be destroyed yeah you know maybe you like saw that, that um, biscuit video and that's <laughs> what triggered yeah him. yeah but, but yeah yeah putting aside maybe like aliens cause i feel like aliens you can only put in this category if aliens do show up like next month then we can go and look back at all this fucking sus shit that we've been covering and be like that was the predictive programming for it but you know aliens haven't like arrived yet whereas like i don't know the Twin Towers blew up. Uh, COVID happened. Uh, zombies are kind of like, yeah, zombies, you could, I think they occupy a somewhat, I think they really exploded in Hollywood, like right after the 2008 Great Recession. And I think that there was this, they were tapping into this fear about like total societal collapse. And also you could like even get into some like Mark Fisher territory of like, I think it was a it's bit easier that. to imagine the end of the world than to imagine the end of capitalism, blah, blah, blah. So that's the only alternative of like world destruction that we- Well, when like, did 28 Days Later come out? Was that- Like 2002, I want to yeah, say? Yeah, so I feel like that was really when it started, like the recent zombie 
craze that kind of has petered out a bit. I guess now. I did kick it off. Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit before. I mean, that was post 9-11. So, yes, it was. Although it was, I guess, yeah. a British movie, but still, you know. Yeah, but again, like these, you know, there was there were so many zombie movies before that that were like, you know, it's really I think like broadly speaking, it can adapt itself to a lot of things like the original Night of the Living Dead, like is about, you know, oh, yeah. certain different uh, issues. But it's like, you know, generally, like, I mean, the sequel is dealt with like consumerism, yeah. racism. I remember the one of the sequels, like these SWAT team cops, like break into like a housing project in Chicago to like because there's zombies in there. But then they just start like wantonly shooting like black people who aren't zombies, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like very pronounced. And so it's like appreciated one is Day of the Dead, where like the military tries be. to like train a zombie to use a gun. <laughs> like it ends up like <laughs> shooting people. Yeah. That might have been Day of the Dead. Actually. Uh, oh, um, maybe. Yeah. Maybe and I then, just forgot that. Part. And then the other one where they're in the mall. It's That's like Dawn kind of, of the a, Dead. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. So, I mean, there's always been that kind of thing there. Yeah. And so, but I think that like both that and aliens, uh, people express their own sort of wishes and fears. Uh, and generally mm-hmm. it's bourgeois people who like make these films. And so I don't necessarily think that Certainly it's like finance them. Yeah. And who finance them. So I don't ne- like not in all cases is it like, hey, 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 like we're planning these things. But like, that's what they really think. And I think, you know, it's uh, it's incredibly, <laughs> incredibly some of blue, especially around aliens, like the close encounters of the third kind ideology of like they're coming and they will help us all to be immortal or Star Trek yeah. where like we will yeah. conquer the stars and colonize the galaxy and like we don't have to Dude, worry manifest destiny everything yeah exactly again. manifest destiny for yeah. the stars yes i mean even um, the the day the earth stood still it mirrors and who knows like it's a chicken or the egg thing but like it mirrors the thing you hear all the time with like ufo cults from rael to everybody else that is like the aliens they want us to stop the nuclear weapons yeah we we must be kind to the earth yeah. or else we will destroy you know like they they all got like a signal that went off when we used the atomic bombs and now now they're coming here to tell us to like exactly. mend our reckless ways and things and maybe they'll give us cool technology yeah. if we do it's weird you know and stuff it originally like was more about nuclear weapons but now you hear more about it climate change which mm-hmm. you know yeah. just uh yeah but that definitely yeah, is a trope you. that they're like warning us you know which uh again that's kind of falls in the same category of zombies where like certain preoccupations are are being channeled so i think a lot of the people who like make these films like are themselves psyoped like rather than being the psyopers they're just like kind of replicating like the messages that like we've received for like a long ass time which are kind of playing themselves out yeah and like some filmmakers are just straight up like interested in the occult or occult practitioners and so they yeah, like will like, kind of anger, like kind of anger is yeah. consciously doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But even a Polanski is like liminally. Uh, yes. Th- and those people maybe are incredibly darker. influential. So their like <laughs> symbols perpetuate themselves. Even yes. if. Well, it, let, but yeah. let's see. Like the, the main question here is like, why does the bourgeoisie drop hints or allow hints about shit in media? And, you know, we could even expand that to like, you know, things in movies, like maybe like Eyes Wide Shut as an example. Like, why would they allow now? Maybe they murdered him. For I guess. Yeah, it could movie. Be fun, I, don't know. I guess it's a different question. So like, why do they allow hints? Yeah, but but I think, I we, think that, that yeah. that's a category as well. I mean, well, okay. Why I think that why did yeah. Hollywood allow JFK to be made? Why did Hollywood allow JFK to be made? Because yeah, like it question. ultimately doesn't like uh, it's a limited hangout. 
It's a limited hangout in film form. Yeah. Like, I guess so. Or even, it, I think it's pretty good. I think it holds up pretty well, like, in terms of giving you a general feeling that, like, okay, yeah, this is, like, a sinister, like, deep state conspiracy. But if you look at how the media treated it at the time. That was suspected already, yeah. I mean, I guess it, you could well, say yeah, it, it was I mean, a patsy you know. itself to be, like, clowned on by the media to, like, debunk JFK conspiracies. But I think or, that. Yeah, or maybe yeah. not even design. Well, because we have to remember that it was is Mossad intelligence officer slash Hollywood super producer Arnon Milchin was one of the people that bankrolled this movie, which is curious to say the least. Mm-hmm. So you have to wonder, like, okay, then you would have thought that, like, maybe some people would kind of step in and want to, like, uh, retard the progress of this movie getting made. But maybe it's not so much that, like, they made it to be a patsy. Maybe it was more, okay, they're getting it made. Maybe Arnon Milchin, for his own weird reason, wants to get it made. <laughs> Maybe Israel wanted to, like, subtly threaten President George Bush, like, at the time, <laughs> by, like, having this movie be made. and be like, we know about Dallas, you know, or something. Who knows? But then, you know, it does get out. But then it's like you have the autoimmune system of the deep state, the media, <laughs> ready to be, like, debunked, like, not serious, like, wow, erm, whoa, you know, not it, my dude. And that's, like, if you go back and read most of the, like, major newspapers and magazines and shit, like, it's just ripping on, like, how irresponsible and, like, disgusting. I think even Tucker Carlson had, I think I read recently, when he was young, he wrote, like, an article about how, like, disgusting the movie JFK was. He probably, like, have Oliver Stone on nowadays. It's bizarre. But it's, like, so I don't know. Like, maybe sometimes... Uh, does any like it's like did they want that movie to be out there it seems counterintuitive like why would you want that unless you're getting more out of the negative reaction to it in the press than you would if like the movie never existed but that feels risky well what comes to mind this is quite like a far-flung analogy but i mean it kind of reminds me of like tabari's account of like the martyrdom of hussein ibn ali in his history where like if you read it now like it really seems like damn like this is like really horrible what happened which you know sunnis do believe but it's still even though like he acknowledges that something happened that was horrible like it's still extremely anti-Hussein like it makes him even though it does make it seem like a horrible tragedy it makes him seem like a fool and like there was no real reason for him to like uh, go you know to get involved in this situation like he was kind of a dupe and it's like a regrettable accident that or like almost like it wasn't really an accident but like a regrettable situation where like the hands of the Umayyads were forced or you know it's like acknowledging something that you could not fully suppress you know you they could not okay you can't really stop like jfk conspiracy theories from existing that's what and like it was it didn't like blow the lid off of it like ultimately yeah maybe it's encouraged it a bit maybe it's done a little bit to contribute to the popularity of those ideas but it, it kicked up some dirt. They they got the the act passed to like release more of the records around the assassination, which they're still slow walking to this day. Like yeah. they still haven't released all of them. But, but that I was one thing. That it's like, like oh, a, okay, like I don't think it's like a huge breaking point or like really. I don't think that it was really a game changer so much. I think that True. it's something that's like tolerated. I mean, in a way, you could say that it would be more conspicuous to like stamp it out. <laughs> 
That's a good point. You know, um, America is quite good at that at like letting something because they know they have certain influences over how it will be perceived in the mass media through their little mockingbird yeah. you know, minions that uh, and also like I feel like the psyop the Wurlitzer machine has almost like self-trained itself and become just like it's so ingrained in the American media now and normalized that you don't even have to I've said this before like you don't even have to like meet up with a journalist and like give them an envelope full of cash like there's other ways to like incentivize people to like basically like kiss the feet of the CIA at all times yeah and like debunk unserious people etc so I don't know that that is interesting you bring up though the kind of notion of I don't know made me think about a certain like aspect of like learned helplessness that you know, basically just like vigilant citizen said about the tunnel ritual that, you know, this is what we believe and this is what we did and you can't do anything about it, which is what you do kind of walk away. It's not like Oliver Stone's fault really, but you do kind of walk away that movie kind of like outraged and like exhausted by the, like the swirling like maelstrom of corruption that is our government and how they could get away with all of this. And that even like gaslight everybody who questions it into, you know, you're just crazy. And this like flimsy ass story that doesn't hold up. And maybe one of the guys who is centrally involved in it is the fucking sitting president. What are you yeah. going to do about it? You know, and maybe that's a part of it too. It, is it curious that George Bush was the president when that movie came out? Because he's like on the list but of he's suspects. Not directly, like, kind of implicated in the movie. Is he or am I misremembering? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, 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 not at all. But if he was involved, and I have strong reasons to believe he was, yeah. I wonder how he felt about that movie. Well, I don't know, because he wasn't mentioned when he was quite relevant, you would think. That's one thing that does think stick that out was, to but me I don't, about the movie. I, I will say, I don't know if that was as well known back in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. I think everybody dropped the ball in George Bush. He got one over on a lot of people. I think that, especially for, like, Oliver Stone made a whole, like, Contra movie. He made Salvador in, like, 85. And he knew about, like, the Sandinistas and, like, all this Iran-Contra shit. But he kind of, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he said a lot of things at the time, like, fuck George Bush. But I feel like people didn't, they really covered up George Bush's central role in Iran-Contra, uh, it didn't come out maybe till years later with like Russ Baker's book where he really put forth an argument that George Bush had been CIA probably since college. Mm -hmm, and that, yeah. you know, I guess people knew about Zapata offshore and shit like that. But there wasn't a lot of chatter about him, I feel like, in the JFK assassination community. And maybe that maybe that makes people like I wonder if Mae Brussel actually ever said anything about it, because I kind of trust Mae Brussel. You know, like she was a dogged researcher of that. And, I, you know, also Mark Lane, sus Mark Lane, you know, hanging out at Jonestown. Like, he never brought up George Bush as far as I know. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it should, it, you would think it would set off people's alarm bells when he became CIA director and then became vice president. Like, maybe, okay, maybe in, like, 1968, you're not thinking about Young, the son of Senator Prescott Bush. Because he's like, who is he at this point? He's just some businessman, you know? Yeah. Not very important. But then you watch him get all these government appointments again and again and again. And then he ends up like he rises right to the top and uh, and uh, it does make you wonder. But I don't know. It's complicated. I mean, I think I, I, I don't know if they're maybe they're they're looking for us to say something like there's an alchemical thing of like if they warn you beforehand, then like, yeah, the that revelation means they of the method. Right. I mean, I revolution think that the there uh, might be something to the revelation of the method. I mean, I also feel like the revelation of the method might partially be well, I think that. 
it's in a way bullshit, but like, well, I shouldn't say bullshit. Like, I think that the like alchemical like precedent of this idea that you have to reveal the method or the occult idea that like you have to reveal the method. It's a compelling notion, but I feel like it kind of is like just a Peter Lavenda idea that or I don't even think he made it up. I think the King Kill 33 guy made it up or like might be true, coined yeah. it. You know, I'm not yeah. saying there's no precedent for any kind of idea like that but like it's not like the universal occultic principle that like that guy made it out to be but i think that a lot of the time these things aren't like really revealing anything that like we don't already know they're simply that's true training us training our expectations around certain things i mean again i think that some of the stuff they brought up falls in different categories but like for instance, all the pandemic drills and exercises. Like, we know there's going to yeah. be a pandemic that doesn't, like, mm-hmm. caught, catch them red-handed for doing a pandemic, you know, or whatever, <laughs> that is literally running a drill for them yeah. and for us about, like, how yeah. pandemics are going to play out and movies about pandemics or any kind of, you know, major world event play the same role. They shape expectations yeah. and they shape behavior. And like, if absolutely. I think that's very much beam, more aliens would be the same, you know, like, yeah, I think that's very much more the core of like maybe what is like operationally relevant to a lot of these like weird performative things and stuff like the stuff that you would call predictive programming is it's like it's almost a slow like grooming process to like acclimate you to these concepts or shape your consciousness around. That's what I think maybe. like the 90s action movies of like major monuments including the world trade center getting blown up again and again like because it's not really it's not like revealing a real method or anything like it's not telling you like dick cheney did this like (laughs) it's just kind of saying that like it's framing sub almost subconsciously like you like when it happens it's not going to be totally foreign to your mind because you've seen it happen you've seen it simulated rehearsed almost like a dozen times yes. in movies and then maybe it's easier to sort of guide your reaction from there and almost like get everybody hypnotized and feeling like they're in some kind of movie which i think is an experience we all have sometimes well, and who when to something blame. really insane happens and who to blame for doing it and who to blame because, right yeah. it's a who it's a villain it's a bad guy, guy. In 80s. um uh, in most of these action movies. I mean, maybe not in, like, Roland Emmerich style, like, you know, destroying everything movies. Usually it's, like, a natural disaster or something. But, like, you know, in uh, Schwarzenegger movies. Um, the Arab terrorists. Usually Arabs, yeah. Even even Back to the Future Muslims. has Libyan terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. it, it's really fucking yeah. crazy. And, um, you know, True Lies had that. Yeah, True, like, a uh, lot True of True Lies, them. one of the most racist movies. Crimson uh, Jihad. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, mm-hmm. that was... Uh, James that, you're, you're, you're fired, you know, where Schwarzenegger you're tells fired. That guy, you're fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so I uh, mean, I think they, they lay the groundwork yeah. for, for this. And, and, I mean, even, you could even look at it as, like, was the hysterical shit about, like, Russia? I think it gets a little more complex, but at the same time, you could see, like, like starting the hysterical, like, Russia hate machine, like, years ago, and then building it up over time... Then when there is a real military conflict, you've like groomed people for like seven years to like remember to like hate Russia. You know, Yo, I uh, years ago. So my fiance like uh, loves the uh, like these cartoon movies uh, called How to Train Your Dragon. Um, and the, you know, cause I think the dragons in them are very like uh, adorable. You know, even I will admit that they are, you know, cause they basically just are 
like computer animated to have the characteristics of like dogs and cats and like lovable animals. In the third film in this like saga, um, which is about like interactions between humans and dragons or whatever, uh, they're like some kind of like pastiche of like Scandinavia. It's interesting, like in a way that it's a Scandinavian country. Again, you could do a whole like sus like, vigilant citizen analysis of this thing, but the one vigilance citizen analysis I want to do is that in the third film, I remember very distinctly that the bad guy looks exactly and like by then this is like a, you know pretty you know like the you know this this spans multiple years but eventually the animation gets like pretty cutting edge and like by the end it was exactly like putin <laughs> literally exactly really? yeah it was really amazing i was like damn like uh i mean i guess yeah, this was on. like in the in the trump era so like the idea of let me uh hold on how to train your dragon three bad guy <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And that is that Pixar or DreamWorks? I think that it's not it's not like Pixar. I think that it's DreamWorks. I think. I might be wrong. Maybe it's I don't know. But anyway, this is the uh this is a bad guy. They're doing the DreamWorks face. Does that work? The soy face that. of cartoons. Yeah. Um, um but yeah, I remember watching this and being like, especially if you see it in motion, it's like the mannerisms, like yeah. Uh uh, yeah, I almost want to say that he had like an accent, but it was like amazing. It was really like, you know, and this is like for, you know, kids ultimately. I mean, even though is I'm sure, Grimmel? you know, who brings the kids to these films like movies. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I look, think, is it is it Grimmel? Grimmel. Let me look up that on Google and see if he Played comes by up. F. Murray yes, Abraham. Yeah, yes, Grimmel. It does look like Putin. <laughs> he does have, he has hair, but he's like bootler. other than that. He's bootler. Yeah, he's bootler. Yeah. Wow. Um, and the mannerisms too, like the movement of like the eyes and things. Yeah, he's bootler. And he's oh such a God. sicko, you know. I feel like, you know, I don't really remember what the plot was. I vaguely remember it being kind of about like, I feel like it was about like the existential like crisis. Like in the end, they have to give up their dragons, you know, like even they live in harmony with the dragons in this world, they have to like, you know, uh, you'll have no Let dragons and you'll be happy. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no, they, the they great reset. To, like, no. Yeah, they have to do a, they literally have to do a great reset because like <laughs> it was, I remember at the time I was like, yeah, that was about like climate change, which is weird because like the Scandinavian countries, which like the sort of aesthetic of, the characters in the film is sort of based on like are they the ones who are going to benefit the most from like global climate change whereas like the global exactly. south will like suffer horribly but no you've stolen her childhood shut the fuck up yes um, um but <sighs> wow yeah that is interesting yeah so it's all you're, you're gonna own nothing you're gonna yeah, love it like that's what all the beautiful things in the world like you know these i mean these dragons i have to say like truly are like uh like uh, basically grown in the ghost of kiev lab to be like, uh, <laughs> you know, like very uh, adorable. Like they basically have all the mannerisms of like, you know, the pets that we love, like dogs and cats and everything. So like, well, but they, they in ten years when they try to ban like cats and dogs, like having pets. Uh, I mean, I feel really bad for like kids who are growing up now. Like not to say that we weren't psyops, but like you know, uh, they've gotten better at it. I feel like they're just like hopeless Way in terms better. of like all the psyop like machinery like in your brain from like watching all this shit. Exactly. Yeah, like uh, keep up with it. Well, wait, I mean, to summarize, I think that there's like a you know, there's a lot of components going on. Like on one hand, I feel like I think by and large, like at this point, I mean, because you know, to dovetail with what I was just saying, like those kids are gonna grow up and they're gonna reproduce like what they watched, you know, without even having to be like commanded to do it by like Klaus Schwab or like the World Economic Forum high commands at like you know the Pan headquarters or whatever. Like, they will do it, they'll, like, drop hints, quote-unquote, effortless, like, you know, without having to be told. And I think that a lot of contemporary filmmakers do the same, even though, yeah. you know, there might be some exceptions. Uh, yeah. And it might be, like, a deliberate, like, you know, like, hey, 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 like, rubbing in our faces, folks. 
But I, I think today you would have kind of like the the people with the right kind of, you know, political persuasions at these like big companies. Almost, It's like you don't even need to like give them. Yeah, the, exactly. Like deep state synopsis for like what they're going to write no. because they know to be rewarded. They have to like work in some exactly. subplot about how like we can't own anything in the future because of climate change. Well, and it's not even and people like. people be like, wow, like so smart. And like, yeah. <laughs> you're helping these kids, you know, learn the right values. Like, yeah. And it's not even like, yeah. Or like, yeah, we, the common people have to give shit up. Like instead of, you know, but like, it's, yeah, it's not even like they're like, oh, this will impress my bosses or they'll like this. Like they actually believe that stuff. Because, like, I don't think that anyone was like, oh, you know, we should make Putin the villain in our next movie. Like, they probably were like, we should base our villain on a real, you know, who's a good real life villain to base who's our a villain real villain? on? Who's yeah. the biggest real villain in this exactly. world right yeah. now? Exactly, yeah. You know? Uh, just like, like you know, uh, I bet, I bet if you look at, like, kids' movies that are made recently, like, the villains probably look a lot like Putin and Trump, like, on the whole. Yeah. Like. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like Brooklyn Dad Defiance, like the widowest president, uh, children's book. Where <laughs> it's like a goofy character of Trump, like locked in prison with like little yeah. like prison jam jams on. I mean, that's a whole other level, <laughs> like you know, like whereas like I feel like kids actually like like, you know, there certain things where like they insinuate like sort of a subtle political message where the bad guy looks like Trump or something. But like that type of stuff is another like level of derangement where it's like, I'm going to read my kid the book about kamala and it's like how, like what's yeah. your fucking problem like stop it like how dare you <laughs> like i wonder if those rbg books are like not selling so well like anyone who buys <laughs> that type of thing like what is your problem yeah well, no that's more popular than you would think now like that's so i you know parents please like don't. it's um, so like and like, also like i feel like it's that's how i feel a lot of the time i don't think this is universally true and like you know I understand why people want to do this, but like, it, I feel like a lot of the time when people are like, I saw like a thread on Twitter recently where someone was like, you need to have a conversation with your white son about like, you know, not being a Nazi. Like, so if he says like, you know, and it gave like <laughs> conversational prompts, like, you know, what to say to your son. And one was like, uh, I don't know about feminism, you know, men need support too, or whatever, like is what the son would say. And then the mom goes like, did you know that all like Ruth Bader Ginsburg also supported men or whatever, or something like that. And it's like, <laughs> you're going to make your kid into a Nazi. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my God. Kid. Stop it. Like what makes a Nazi? How did he get that way? Like, from, like that. <laughs> yeah it was, oh my god it was pretty yeah bad. yeah and like oh that's the same god. thread where like people were replying and saying like yeah uh white nationalists targeted my five-year-old and tried to recruit him i saw that yeah what the fuck like, like take better care there of your were children multiple <laughs> comments like that and like you know what? i was like allowed to i wasn't allowed to play video games like at all until like maybe i was like i don't know like 10 or 11 maybe a little bit younger but like and that to me like you know seems pretty normal I wasn't allowed to use the internet until I was older than that. And, like, I understand that, like, it was a less ubiquitous part of life. But at the same time, like, this is a digression. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, what the fuck? Like, it would never occur to me to let a five-year-old like, use the computer and go on the internet. If your child is interacting to. with the... Yeah, if your child's interacting with the internet enough that it's plausible that they may have become a Nazi <laughs> by age five, like that a Nazi maybe would try to you should them. Like what? Yeah, like through what? Roblox? Just, I don't know. Through like, like there's memes a Nazi on Roblox or yeah, like, and they're like, maybe through like Minecraft memes or something. Yeah, like, your kid doesn't need to play Minecraft when they're five. I'm sorry, like they don't need yeah. to. They can play with real blocks. Like it's the same. Like 
They don't just, need like, to turn off the Elsa gate. Like, like read stop to your giving kid, them YouTube like, kids. You know, like just be like parent your children. Yeah, don't I mean, leave I feel it like up to I the see the very sanctimonious saying internet. that because I don't have kids of my own. I just have a dog, and like you know, but I do feel that often. Um, I mean, maybe I like like I feel I do feel that often like that a lot of people's problems like they just need to parent their children more. I guess it's easier said than done. So you know, or I'm just sorry don't for replace it with. Yeah, don't let your kids online. Like they're five. Media. I feel I am empowered to say that. Don't. But like, yeah, hard you know, line. Yeah. Nope. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I think we're well. Well, we're gonna read this one, but I think like not. Uh, I want to acknowledge it, okay. but I think we're gonna save it for a later episode. Somebody, uh, La Bufera asked about. Uh, Fabian socialism and we've talked about it I think since this question was asked so they just asked you know have you come across anything in your research on the Fabian Society of the Webs and George Bernard Shaw it seems to span many relevant topics or movements Atlantis's power networks Cywar eugenics the London School of Economics as an exemplar of quote public education of the working class for later institutions like the New School and NYC, <laughs> Democratic Socialism in Britain, OTO and Blavatsky and Theosophy, Science Fiction, H.G. Wells is well-known Fabian, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, um, I mean, no, it's big sus vibes with the Fabians, I feel yeah. like, you know. If you want to compare, like, the DSA, the people we were just talking about today, like, and maybe people in the ruling class that might even, like, support them, it like, we don't have really the similar terminology here in the u.s but they they are basically fabians like yeah like every time yeah i i would say like that's how i would i call them what you want but i feel like these are upper class kind of elite class people that believe in some kind that like some kind of socialism is probably going to be inevitable in the future but they want to sort of guide and gradually sort of dialectically uh, move society towards that goal but mixed in with that is a lot of like extremely sus bullshit that is like we want to be like the vanguard elite that the ben the beneficent you know vanguard elite but also we want to do eugenics and maybe we should sigh up everybody no, yeah, to bring this guess, to being and stuff i guess you're right there is a there is definitely a parallel uh i mean i find that the like actual ideology like a people like george bernard shaw as comes through in some of his weirder plays i'm forgetting the name of the one but the one that like where you go into like the distant future that is such a weird play that i think about a lot especially when you know uh we talk about like uh esoteric or uh you know uh sort of uh, unconventional or like early uh or like 19th century views or interpretations of evolution i often think mm -hmm. of that that play by by george bernard shaw but now like the name of it is actually like escaping me I like we talked about it at one point uh, oh back to methuselah oh yeah, yeah but yeah, it goes through, like, all time, and, and like, it ends in the year, like, A.D., like, 31,000. <laughs> like, you know, and everyone is, no. like, a thought, didn't, Nanite Cloud. Didn't uh, H.G. Wells also have, like, the time machine yeah. where he goes, like, way into the future and everyone's, like, a Chimera-like well, goblin it's actually, man or something? No, not everyone's a Chimera goblin man. Uh, well, they split races, right, right? The working class became, like, the, un like, you know, kind of, like, like, bat people who live underground and, like, uh, but are more intelligent. And they feed on the like upper classes who are like farmed by them. Because That's an interesting, interesting take. Yeah, for these kind of elitist. I mean, he was also like I think we we went over some place before. Like he called himself a social a Fabian socialist, maybe, but he was like pretty flirtatious with fascism. We talked as about well. him in our Mars episode a little bit. Yeah, that's I'm not right. Sure if we, yeah. He 
Uh, but I, yeah, I yeah. think it's very interesting to explore like their particular. But I think that you, the parallel, like, is true because I feel like even though the specifics maybe of that kind of like cosmology that you see like between these different people like expressed and like you know uh, Blavatsky like in th- through theosophy and through like the entrance of science fiction like those things do uh, still do persist. There actually is a fascination with science fiction still like within these sort of left circles. I think with uh, mm-hmm. a, a co- not maybe theosophy per se, but with like you know, uh, different forms of what maybe what's called spirituality, you know? So, yeah, yeah, I think that is like a heavy, so I think that is an interesting, it's an interesting parallel, but yeah, I mean, I would like to do like a deep dive. I mean, any given one of these people would be fascinating to delve into. Like, you know, you could do a whole episode about Shaw. You could do a whole episode about HG Wells. Um, Uh, Definitely. I'm interested in like the organization of like the Fabian society though. And I know Jason Horsley has like written some stuff and I believe even like his grandfather was a prominent Fabian and stuff. And he's very sussed out by them. And I feel, but I I really, I've said this before, I really want to separate like, because I think he he says it sometimes, like people like Alex Jones say, like the a socialist is a socialist, basically. So like the yeah. Fabians, like they're socialists, blah, blah, blah. The transhumanist and sicko fucking and just like Mao, just like Lenin, just like Stalin. It's like, <laughs> whoa, dog, hold up. Like those guys are not the fucking same as like Fabians, unless you want to go like, oh, Fidel Castro was like part of a Masonic conspiracy and it was all an inside job, blah, 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 which I'm not buying. You know, I think that, uh, but like in the West, if you're talking about the Western left, like this is kind of like the left wing of the bourgeoisie, you could say. And you could say that about maybe maybe certain currents of either the DSA or even, I think more prominently, the kind of radical like climate change kind of liberal movement has very big Fabian vibes. Mm -hmm. You know, remember I posted a long time ago that it was like, Oh, like a Getty, like one of RFK's like grandchildren and like the weird, like spooky guy who like ran like a threat analysis company and like worked for Bill Gates are all like donating money to Extinction Rebellion. And it's like, uh, you should not fucking trust any of these people. And like, but, you know, they use a very radical language, right? About, you know, needing like we're going to almost echoing the Fabians and they have to like the the inevitability of like change is coming this time though. It's not like class revolution that's coming. It's like climate catastrophe that's coming. And so we're going to have to reorganize, you know, our society and our economy and all these other things, but Oh, but they're stepping forward to be like the vanguard of it. And they're going to, and it's like the more and more you see that shit, it's just like, uh, well, because they're the ones who really need to make concessions. Like, and they're the ones who have caused it. How convenient. They Gettys, the Rockefellers, like they could take all the ayahuasca they want, but (laughs) it's still like Um, your multi-generational wealth is like, yeah, it's a problem, uh, you know, destroy the planet. And like, and you know, just like Bill Gates, like you want to get out ahead of like the the great reset, like all this shit is like, we want to get out ahead of, you know, whatever calamities are coming to make sure we stay on top. Yeah. So I think that's kind of like the Fabian and who knows, maybe they're competing like, vibes within the Fabians where some of them were a little more like eclectic Jeffersonians who like really did want to like overthrow the monarchy but then like other ones were like cool calculating sickos. There were a lot of weirdos were, in like, the Fabian society I lot. will say. Yeah but the Huxleys I mean. Yeah, yeah. like. Like MK Ultra, like Esalen a lot of that shit is like fa- deeply Fabian influenced. Yeah no. I think it's Jack a, London hung out with them. 
It's a very sus situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, speaking to the phenomenon that you're talking about with, like, Alex Jones and, like, the sort of conflation of, like, different socialisms, I remember, like, uh, uh, Glenn Beck having, like, a segment on his show of George Bernard Shaw just talking and saying, like, I think you should have to go before a board and explain why do I deserve to exist? And if you cannot explain why, you will be liquidated or whatever. And Glenn Beck just, like, <laughs> having a conniption over it. But, I mean... <laughs> That is a sauce. They are say. they are yeah. weird like, <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. There's some they're on some weird shit like yeah. that. Like Tavistock Institute, like what if we just like like psych use psychosurgery to solve the criminal tendencies yeah. in man? Like uh, they're into some creepy sci-fi Bob solutions Shipman to everything. Is a modern day Fabian socialist, except he's not like a hyper-evolved, <laughs> like back to Methuselah like genius. He's like a complete dumbass, but like he believes in like, you know, the same like eugenic shit and like loves popcorn sci-fi movies and like interprets the entire world through that that's the ultimate legacy of fabianism that, that oh, we live in yeah. yeah and we we must live with it's it so <laughs> it's so it's um, so sus. okay i think we have just enough time for this last question all right let's try kind of a historical hypothetical curveball um okay i'll read this one i guess um, okay yeah yeah uh Leuch, or i hope i'm pronouncing his name right big fixture Loic of the discord uh our, yeah big yeah, on the ground our, our french yeah. friend this might be his first question yeah 9 12 um, yeah. uh asks wow that magical day when we all felt as one uh, <laughs> uh asks what if the new deal was a failure and the great depression unemployment crisis was really ended by world war ii including the build-up to it first with exports to both sides and also like the soviets and the japanese might not honor the debts all these countries owed the u.s if they emerged victorious by sending all the men including the unemployed to war against the axis if that was a real story of america's economic recovery then what's going to happen now honestly like huh. i learned that that was true in high school. So to me, I, I that was like hearing that. Yeah. I was not, what I yeah, have, was actually like, taught like by, you know, the, uh, the, the educational institutions. So here in the United States, maybe like has a different perspective because he's French. So maybe in France, they're like the new deal saved them. Um, maybe I remember hearing that a little bit more cause my, one of my history teachers in high school was like pretty conservative. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's something that he would have said that. Yeah. I don't know if it means maybe other deal was a said. failure. I don't think that was the, the way that it was framed. It wasn't framed as a failure per se, but it was uh -huh. like the really what did it was world war two. Yes. Uh, yeah, I definitely heard that across the board, and like conservatives would say it was a failure, and yeah. that was the only, which is really, the, the, if true, fucked up. Yeah. Uh, that the only thing that can save us is endless war. But I think maybe that was, I think just through people's experience, perhaps that was uh, internalized, you know, in the mid 20th century that, hey, everything was shitty, and then this big apocalyptic war happened, and we're like the only, pretty much the only, I would say about the only country involved, majorly involved in the war that was not like deeply fucking bombarded and ripped to pieces. Yeah. Right. Yeah, maybe Australia, but like, besides that, like we basically got to send all of our excess male population off and, but I don't know, like putting aside, cause I think it did. I, I, yeah, I would, I would not call the new deal like a failure, but at the same time, I do believe that world war two, it, it, it it's I mean, kind of undeniable that it played like a major yeah. role in the recovery, but I, Yes. I do think that you know, to the latter part of the question, I don't think that like there's going to be a like catastrophic war now. I think almost maybe like the the opposite will happen in a way where like I think that 
I mean, I think that the most likely thing that happens now, like in order to like, you know, if we suffer, uh, the more we suffer economically, the people who are going to bear the burdens like, you know, are going to be the American people like the, you know, the average American is like going to have to bear like the burden every time like the. Yeah, I don't think that I think that maybe the uh, the dream of actually pulling ourselves out of the economic problem, maybe we'll just slip away and we'll be told like a different story about why it's necessary instead of like, you know, the the idea of like that it's we have to end it like or we have to stop this economic problem. It'll just be like, no, like you have to suffer. We're going to continue to be rich. And like, this is why it's fine. And this is why it's there necessary. does seem to be that's what I there feel does like seem to be a lot of than like there does seem to be with China. Or yeah, something. <laughs> there does seem to be a lot of predictive programming around the idea that you're going to have to sacrifice things like extreme austerity is going to be like the morally correct position to hold. Yes. And even though I Which think that's getting a little bit uh, yeah. very neoliberal and it's getting out of hand, I think with, you know, the baby formula, the inflation, gas prices, you know, if the if the housing market, I've seen it signs that it's like actually slowing down for the first time in forever. And who even knows if that shit collapses? I mean, I think at first like millennials would be like, yay. But then like what happens when it takes the rest of the economy with it again? Like it did in 2008, because mm-hmm. I do remember that and that fucking sucked. And then there's going to be a lot of angry people. And I think you're right. Like it's going to be uh, the, the pain is going to be heaped upon the the lower like, you know, 90 percent uh, of, you know, pretty much everybody except the people who already have a shitload of money yeah. uh, is going to feel a lot of pain from it. So there's going to be a lot of rage. And I mean, maybe what they're getting at here with like the World War Two thing, because they're talking about the buildup and how the U.S. was kind of trying to economically boost itself by exporting to both sides, which is actually an interesting take because we've talked before about, I mean, everybody knows that we did under Roosevelt, we did the Lend-Lease program with the Soviets. We yeah. gave them a lot of weapons, right? Mm-hmm. We gave weapons, we gave uh, planes and tanks and guns and shit to the British as well. Mm-hmm. So we were covering the Allied side of it and Let's not forget, like making people are making money off that, right? Just as they are today with Ukraine. But then we talk about, you know, Prescott Bush and all the like Brown Brothers Harriman and all the Nazi economic financing and shit. And like Ford's plants were still operating in Nazi Germany throughout the war. Mm -hmm. I think they even like told the air, the Army Air Corps to like not bomb his Ford plant and stuff. So it's okay. That actually kind of makes sense a little bit. That's like, the overall American economy is selling to both sides because fuck it. Why not? Yeah. Like make as much money. But then they say that, you know, when it, or he said, when it looks like the Soviets and the Japanese might not honor the debts, all the countries owed the U S if they emerge victorious, then they decided, well, we have to go into this war in ourselves and, Oh, we get the added benefit of sending several million young men over there, like 400,000 of whom are going to die, mm-hmm. which alleviates our problems a little bit and then you know by the end of this war everybody's industrial economy is in fucking tatters and we have a perfectly functional one that's actually better than ever and we get to be the exporter to the world for like a good 20 years yeah and then our our problems began after that you know so but does that so the uh, the analogy today maybe would be that we're flooding ukraine with like money for weapons which i'm sure a lot of it is cycling back into our economy through the weapons contractors right yeah because like we're giving them money to buy our weapons right Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I, I so for the most part, like maybe they're buying some Turkish drones on the side, but like the javelins, that's all American, yeah, baby. That is a good you know? point. So, maybe that is what uh, Loic is getting at. But then will we be worried that Ukraine is not going to be able to pay the debts back? So then we're going to get involved in a shooting war with Russia because that's better than just letting Ukraine lose and not getting real. But the thing is, that like, seems unlikely. Though. I mean, even Jen Psaki, uh, you know, was like snarking about the idea of like war with Russia and how like ludicrous yeah. it would be. I don't know. It still seems like I a don't faint see it possibility. I, I just think I don't see it at this time. Yeah, I don't. I think yeah. Also, do you do you know if the the deals we're passing, like the forty billion dollars, all this fucking money? Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I've heard about it so far is like we're just gifting that money to Ukraine. It's not lend lease, which yeah, I think was I like a so. deal. Lend lease was like a, a loan agreement. No, I haven't like, heard gonna, anything about it. Like the expectation that it would be returned. Uh, I no, might be yeah, that's too, a, but yeah. that's how even like conservatives are kind of like mad about, it, or just like people on the street are mad about it because it's like we have all these fucking yeah, problems right now. The I'm people sorry, complaining about like, it would have been like they won't pay it back instead of like why are we giving? Yeah. Which is why yeah, exactly. I almost feel like it might be more likely that the country will, like, I mean, I, I don't want to be hyperbolic and say, like, tear itself apart, but, like, you know, a less hyperbolic version of that uh, before we would go into, like, a shooting war with Russia or, or with China. I, you know, it doesn't seem like an imminent possibility. I mean, again. Like, you think the United States would collapse into, the like, usual caveats chaotic... About, well, I know. I so. think that's, ca- <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like, the... Uh, usual caveats about like you know my ability to intuit the future and no i wasn't exactly that's what i meant in saying a less hyperbolic version of tear itself apart i don't think that it will be like a civil war but i think that i don't know like i mean maybe like civil unrest rather than like something uh uh, cognate to the actual civil war that or you know the the regular civil war that we had before like i don't think that will be a pitched civil war a little bit of like world war ii martial law yeah something yes yeah Maybe like yeah, I I don't mass, see like the mass ben- civil unrest, like mass protests, like you know something like it almost seemed like we were on the precipice of like during the the summer, the first summer of COVID. You know, like if you just take that, that to an order back. of magnitude, like you know, even if you just like you know cube that, you would almost be at like an extreme level of like civil unrest. Like yeah, I think that's pretty. Things are really coming off at the seams and right then, now. Like yeah, and just you know uh, whoever's president, you know president. President Vance being like, why can't we just shoot them? And then doing so, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Or like, yeah, or on the flip side, like President Pete uh, throwing like all the MAGAs in like re-education camps, you know. Yeah, or exa- or yeah, shooting, um, yeah, shooting the MAGA protesters, I guess. It really depends. I mean, I guess it would have to be or like abortion honestly, activists, like blowing it. Like there's a lot of like pro choice people like talking like the weather underground right now. They're going to start like blowing up like uh, like pro-life, you know, offices and stuff like that. That's like, interesting. I feel like that's. Uh, OK. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. The, I'm sure that won't blow back hard on you. Yeah. Not um, like necessarily a good strategy. Like it would it probably wouldn't be one or the other. Like, I mean, again, I'm doing what I like said I shouldn't do and like speculating like darkly about like in a complex scenario of the future but yeah i feel like it would be like a situation like where you know you got your kyle rittenhouse's like uh mobilized and you also have like you know your 
Yeah. Like, you know. I, I think if there's anything, because we are talking, we're recording this, like, the, the week of the of the mass shootings that, you know, just happened. Uh, I think we're recording this a few days after the one in Texas. And, like, I think what you're seeing over the last, like, decade or so is an intensification of, like, as much as, like, both sides like to paint kind of, like, all mass shootings as, like, one thing, I think the reality is that it's almost maddeningly diverse in like, it's like one week, it's a hotep. Another, like, you know what I mean? Like another week, it's like a Nazi. Another week, it's like an incel. Another week, so there's like always, a di- there's like different competing political, ideological, or like psychological reasons why people are snapping. And then th- they get interpreted differently based on what the state of motive was, if there was one. And I feel like that that's, I'm not going to say that's like a conscious tactic by whoever is uh, <laughs> maybe, you know, goosing up these attacks to happen a little um, bit. But it seems like perfect American gladio to make everybody go insane is that the like you can't even focus on like one thing because there's always a new type of crazy person extremist and i mean there's I, the only thing i can see can in common about well our society definitely causes people to go crazy i would say there's many things in our society that cause yeah. people to go crazy but to deal with those things i think there have always been things in society that make people go crazy there have always been crazy people with instincts to violence i don't think that like the the impulse to do a mass shooting i really think that it's I have to say, I think it's a problem that will not be solved because I don't think that it's tenable. I don't think that it is, like, remotely possible. And, you know, I I understand, like, the argument that, like, an armed population cannot be subjugated, but the only way to actually fix the problem would be to subjugate the armed population and, like, just you know, yes. ban the guns the way like Australia did or whatever, which will not happen. Yeah. Which is never going to happen. Gonna happen. So, never, yeah, ever, ever going to happen. You're right. Yeah. And I, I trust the official people, the serious people who are allowed to have guns uh, less than ever, uh, given by their like reaction to the Texas shooting where they like cowered outside for an hour <laughs> yeah, the, uh, while oof. the guy just like executed everybody. Yeah. And what's the like, point? And like, then you have to like parents. Ted Cruz being like, that's what we need, like rent the cops at the schools. Like, okay, so that they can hide. <laughs> Like or give teachers guns. Yeah, then, right. Like, those okay. teachers are going to shoot some yeah. kids. Like, but I mean, it is like it's a serious problem, and I think I think even if hypothetically, like, I think there's an America. I mean, even Joe Biden himself said it. I was kind of surprised. Like, he pointed out, like, nowhere else in the world there are places that have high crime. There are places that have tons of guns. Only in America do we have this like particular phenomenon of like massacre shootings in like schools and churches and shit on i mean you have a one-offs like new zealand like christchurch mm-hmm. or something but like mostly this is like an american genre and i'm like yeah that's why we should like abolish the intelligence services <laughs> you know maybe <laughs> or like you know shut down the internet till we find out what the hell is going on because if you notice all these kids actually it was funny i was checking in on you know, whenever a mass shooting happens, I check in on InfoWars to uh-huh, see what they're saying. Right. And, um, you know, maybe this is the psyop, but a guy called in yesterday to Alex Jones and he was a special ed teacher in Texas. And he actually said, like, he, like, the shooter was one of his students. Wow, okay. Like, he knew him. Uh, but then he kind of wouldn't say, like, what he asked him about, like, was he autistic? Was he on the spectrum? Was he on the, mur- was he on the murder pills? And the guy said, well, I, I can't violate my confidentiality because he's still technically, like, a student. And I, I can't, 
I don't feel comfortable like sharing his details, but the main point that he wanted to make, and you know, if assuming yeah. he's not a psyop, I think it's a good yeah, point. Okay. Yeah. All right, but he was like, that? yo, um, because actually my my mother is also a special ed teacher mm-hmm. who retired like right after COVID, but got to see at the end there like how it was affecting kids. And I heard very much the same thing to what this guy says is like these kids all got like especially special ed kids who a lot of that instruction and those resource classes are about building structure and helping them overcome very whether it's ADD or they're dyslexic or they're on the spectrum or whatever it's a lot of it is about like building structures to like allow them to like be able to do their work or like get through assignments and things like that and when lockdown happened and all the schools just completely shut down so many of these kids and this guy was saying like I saw it personally like so many of these kids just went down like a dark rabbit hole pretty much like into the internet yeah. and they lost all structure in their lives. They lost whatever, whatever ability we had to like guide them or engage with them or, you know, pull them back a little bit. Like we weren't there anymore physically. And so a lot of kids just like dropped off and, you know, so many normal things that we rely upon to like socialize young, like we already had school shootings before COVID, but this, he, he described it as like, this is like pouring gasoline on the fire of like having young men who were like in the, that perfect age where like their high school experience was like robbed by COVID lockdowns. And they've been on the internet playing shoot 'em up video games, exposed to like God knows what, and, and going in this like mental spiral. And I mean, there's room there both for like, and then like some kind of weird FBI guy like groomed <laughs> him to like go commit a mass shooting. Or just like the, even as Alex Jones said, like, it's not like they take you in a CIA factory these days, folks. Like the entire culture is mind control. That's true. And yeah. it, I think he does have a point there. Does. Like the entire culture between like Twitter, 4chan, like playing shoot 'em up, butcher basically yeah, combat simulator, video old, games. Getting recruited by white supremacists. <laughs> yeah, um, five year olds are getting. But I, you, didn't you see that article like just a week or two ago about how like the Pentagon or the CIA has a 60,000 person army of like, anonymous internet operators yeah. that like in, do influence ops online. I'm not surprised by that at all. Ugh, yeah. I'm not surprised. I the article, but I am not surprised, but yeah, I mean, whether that guy like is telling the truth or just like, you know, uh, using that story to make his argument. Like I, I mean, I think that he is right. Uh, I, I mean, I've experienced that myself. Like I'm still technically in school. So I do, I have felt like the effects, like the destructuring effects, like the sort of mm-hmm. isolating effects of like not of being cut off by COVID. And, you know, I'm like old, like, you know, like I am like a fully mature, uh, you know, whatever you want to say, yeah. like person. So yeah, I think that that definitely is true. I mean, uh, it certainly doesn't help. Yeah. So, you know, to answer the final question, if that was the real story of America's recovery then in World War II, what's going to happen now? I don't know, but it's going to be dark. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be just dark Hard shit question. on the horizon. Yeah, we I didn't think. have enough time to truly tackle this one, but I hope that we gave some uh, indication of our response. We actually, I mean, technically, we did actually make it through our full battery of questions. We punted a couple of them this, to like circle back around, uh, but we did a yeah, bunch. We, yeah, we, we made a good we progress. We still talked today. about them. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we made it just on time. So, uh, Many thanks to the Grotto of Truth once again yes. for always providing good questions. Yes. If anybody wants to sign up, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash supplemental jihad. And as many people ask me, 
the invite link to the Discord is in your confirmation email. <laughs> so I think I wrote that in like the welcome note. Uh, <laughs> um, they, they hide it quite well. It's annoying. Yeah. Yeah. But if you want to uh, support us and uh, jump on the grotto there, a lot of cool people there. We also have uh, merch now. I think we're both wearing it today. Oh, yes. We both happen to be wearing our SJ paraphernalia currently. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So on uh, subliminaljihad.com. Yeah. I'm wearing my there, OG uh, Elwara uh, graphic shirt, and Dimitri's rocking some of the new. Uh, yeah. I'm wearing the uh, stick to the plan. <laughs> um, <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, redacted shirt, <laughs> redacted to Photoshop to be redacted, which is <laughs> <laughs> interesting timing this week to be wearing like a domestic terrorist. <laughs> it's actually Comrade Stalin, so it's fine. Yes. Uh, but yeah, if you want to check that out, we also got hats right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty vibing on these hats. You know, the it's going to be nice. a, yeah. hot, a hot Denim critical hat, paranoid summer. Yeah. Yeah, denim hat, all white, Laura Ashley Flamingo, style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Flamingo green. Got a couple more in the pipeline, but this yeah. summer. Been in a merch designing frenzy. All right. But uh but yeah, check that out if you want. Yeah. And uh and we'll leave it there for now. But until next time, dear listeners, stay vigilant. Are you in-